Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 266. Today is Sunday the 25th of February 2018. And this interview is with Justin Insulaco. Before founding Innovation 4.0 with Will Donovan, Justin Insulaco spent nearly 10 years as a police officer in New Jersey. With Justin's verve and need to provide impact, he created on his own a mobile app to help officers do their job better on their beat. Just like in business, however, there are many challenges in transforming the way things are done. Justin takes us through that journey and then talks about his exciting initiatives at Innovation 4.0, where he's helping people to future-proof their careers. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. So, Justin Insalaco, great to have you on my show. We were, we were designing to meet up uh, in face-to-face, but the, the, the mysteries of the world led us and the challenges of the world led us to tire punctures and all to do a Skype, even though we're in the same city, in this beautiful city of New York City. So, Justin, you are a man uh, with an incredible background that I certainly have never had anything close to on my show. And I thought it would be fun to talk with you about your past. You have, uh, you're a founder of 3B Dreams, and uh, you're going to tell us about that. You're also a co-founder of Innovation 4.0, and a topic which many of my listeners will be familiar with, about Future Proof, which I'm going to, we're going to be talking about. But you also have a, a really interesting 10-year past, working in the police force in New Jersey. So, Justin, in your own words, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe slip in there what you think your mindset is these, these days. Okay, great. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so my name is Justin Insolaco. Um, in 2009, I was just turning 20 years old. Um, I got hired as a police officer in New Jersey uh, in a town called West Windsor, which is just outside of the capital, um, Trenton. Um, it was a very interesting experience for me. You know, uh, originally, like I said, I didn't really necessarily see myself in a law enforcement environment, um, but I took the test and I got hired and I decided that, you know, maybe I can create some impact and it would be an interesting experience. And um, when I got there, you know, it's, it's, it was a tremendous training. Um, it, it, it provided me um, a lot of insight into the, into the real world, things that I weren't familiar with. You know, my sure. family kind of protected me from a lot of the things that, that, that really happened in the world. So that was very interesting in the very beginning. Um, and uh, so when I got hired about three years into my to my time as a law enforcement officer, I created a mobile technology that allowed for interoperability between police agencies and also the police and their public and private partners. Um, that was called Guidance Systems. Um, and subsequent to that, you know, we had some success um, you know, kind of rolling this out, even though we were in this, this flux of you know, law enforcement agencies really weren't you know, enrolling in mobile solutions, but we did have some success. So people started to... Uh, attract to us to kind of help them grow their own business. Uh, so business development, marketing. Uh, I have two partners that came from the financial world and the marketing space. So we created 3B Dreams out of really out of a need um, to, to have an entity that could do something similar to what people were looking for. Um, so I want to just unpack a couple of those areas. The first is when you – so as a 19-year-old, you're, you're rolling up for this interview – 
to what extent were you already in this mindset of wanting to have an impact? I think it's something that, uh, for me at least, it's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I wanted to just not to sound like a, a, a boy scout, but I, I always wanted to create uh, a positive change. Um, and I felt like in, in a law enforcement environment, I had the ability to do that through my interaction with the community. So um, I was already pretty dead set on creating some type of impact in my, in, for my life. Uh, I want to leave behind a legacy. Um, so I was already pretty set on that. And so when you join the police force, uh, three years into it, you come up with this idea, so this is around 2010, I imagine, of making a, a mobile app for the police force. And as you say, the police force, uh, not exactly mobile friendly or not, uh, not maybe mobile first, uh, or maybe not even aware of what B-O-I-O-D stands for. Uh, but this is something that is, is hardly surprising because most businesses, certainly in 2010, were way behind in understanding what you know, being mobile first was all about. So talk us through this, this journey that led you to, as a 23-year-old, to, to try to revolutionize the way they operate. Okay, so I mean, for me, you know, as a as a you know, the younger generation, I, I've had a phone in my hand for a good portion of my life. Um, you know, it became very very popular when you know we were in I guess sixth seventh grade. Everybody started to get these phones, and um, it was definitely a different time with things that you know the people ahead of me didn't understand because they were just getting phones. Um, but so I, I was I was about twenty three, and um, I, I got dispatched to a sex assault, and you know. Thank goodness it ended up not being an actual sex assault. But when I got there, I realized that all the extensive training I've had, everything that I've done so far in law enforcement, you know, because you get pretty, you get thrown into the wolves. I mean, pretty early on, so you learn a lot on, on the fly. But I never had handled the sex assault case, and I called my sergeant. And he was very, very busy at the time, so he said, "I'm going to get there." But at the same time, I thought it was ridiculous that I have a mother and daughter who the mother believes that her daughter was sexually assaulted, and they're inside the house now. And I don't have any resource to, to kind of manipulate how I handle this situation other than leave the house where the mother and daughter were inside, go to the police car and open a binder full of the thousands of pages of information on how to handle different calls for service. And I said, there's a couple of things I always have on me. I always have a radio. I always have a gun. I always have a flashlight. And I always have my cell phone. So I said, how do I make this where I can securely access this information via the device that I carry with me everywhere that I go? So no matter where I am, I'm not bound to being back to the car. I have the ability to access this information anywhere. Um, so that was kind of the initial light bulb that said, how do we, you know, how do we create something that, that police can carry with them everywhere? Um, and, and how do we do that in a cost-effective way? Because as, as we all know, um, you know, government entities are limited in their budget. So we, we, we came up with this bring-your-own-device model um, that would allow cops to access this information anywhere they were. Wow. So, yeah, that's, that's a startling story about how you know faced with this real necessity it, it came around it's, it's so obvious you know like the necessity is the mother of invention but so you go back and and you i presume you have to sort of talk this through with your sergeant and and how do you end up doing this because your your job is to patrol not to yeah. code and to create apps so how does that work 
So, um, I mean, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the short version of the story, but basically I have zero development experience. I had zero business experience. What I did know was that this was a frustration in law enforcement and we needed to fix the problem. So the only thing I knew at the time was Craigslist. I didn't know about LinkedIn. I didn't know, I don't even know if LinkedIn was around then, but I didn't know about it for certain. Um, so I went on Craigslist and I put out an ad looking for a developer, which is like the craziest thing you can do because, I mean, who knows who you're going to get at? Who's, who's going to respond? There's some sexual assault. Some sexual, more likely to get sexual assaulters than it's code. <laughs> I know, right? So I so 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 this gentleman responds back. Um, my partners and I, you know, we do like a, a very quick um, you know, one of these at home uh, type of you know you could pay whatever fifty six bucks and you do a criminal background check. So we, we do a little bit of uh, research there, and then I actually fly down to Myrtle Beach and meet him face to face to get an idea for what he was really all about. And he shared a lot of the same values as we shared about you know hey you know we know that you don't have a lot of capital to invest in this, but I really see the fit here and why this is. A, why this a uh, big deal? And he was actually a lead developer for Wowza, which is a, you know a huge technology company. Um, so it, it made sense, and he took equity in the company, and and we were off to the races. So he helped us develop it, and we 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 situated at my agency for about probably about six months, and just and worked through what all the parameters were, what we needed from my agency's perspective, and use that as the model to develop the applicate the actual application, and then you know began to roll it out to other police agencies. So when are you doing this? Because I'm sure that it's hard to justify doing that on police time. No, so I wasn't doing it on police time. So uh, at the time, I was working 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, and then my partner, uh, Jason, he would come and wake me up uh, around 8 o'clock on my days off. So we worked an interesting schedule, um, which, which was good because it allowed you know, it allowed me – like I had days off in the middle of the week. You know, the way the police schedule worked, it was, it was a pretty um, – you know, it was, it was a good schedule in terms of flexibility, but he would wake me up around, I'd get home at like 5.30 and he would wake me up around 8 and then we would go all day long uh, to police agencies and talk to police chiefs and, 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 and get this thing implemented into agencies. But you're working on this app as a police officer in your off time. So what, yes. what agency does that give you as you're going to meet these other agencies? I mean... You're going. You're not going in uniformed, I presume. I mean, no, you've got to go no. in as you. But you have a badge, and and how do you persuade these people who aren't mobile friendly uh, to get the system embedded? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? I mean, you, you obviously, um, which you're very familiar with, you have to you have to create or, or, or create the the need for this particular value that you're offering, and for the police chiefs, it was very simple. You were right. They, they, they did not understand the need to go mobile, right? Not at the time. Um, now, maybe a little bit more adaptive, but at the time, they did not understand the need to go mobile. But what they did understand was liability. So the way that, that we, we presented it, I can sell you this for a very small cost that, that prevents, that, that maybe gives you a little bit of insurance against liability in the sense of you're able to say, listen, I've done everything I possibly could to provide my police officers with the most up-to-date information that they have access to. So we almost sold it as an insurance policy, uh, you know, a, a relatively cheap one to the police administration. And then the play with the actual, because then once you get through the sale, now you have to get through the adaptation, right? You have to get the police to download this thing on their phone, which is completely against everything the police unions will ever tell you to do. Um, so now we have to get through that hurdle which was, hey, this tool's created for you. Use it or don't. But you're going to look like an idiot if you, don't, if, you, if you make a mistake and you had access to this information. So that was kind of the, you know, that, that was kind of the, the run-of-the-mill kind of pitch that we used at, at police agencies. 
it's I mean, in a nutshell. It's amazing because, you know, the parallels in business are you have all these factions that may be called departments, uh, typically right. in business. But even in your world, you know, the police world, you have the, the people who are headquarters, more the administrative people, the, the police chiefs who used to do your job, but all of a sudden kind of wear a corporate tie, you know, quote right. unquote, and you are out in the street and, and you're like, why on earth can't I have this? And, and, and there are the unions on top of that who are saying, you know, they're, they're trying to get you somehow. It's, it's a, it might, I mean, really, as a, such a young guy in this space, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people sort of were looking at you with a, an enormously raised eyebrow. I agree. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we were, we were the ugly duckling for a little while, um, you know, on both sides, on the police administration side. Um, that would look at us and say, you know, why can't you leave good enough alone? And then from the police union side where, you know, hey, man, you know, you're, you're a cop. You understand what we go through on a daily basis. Why are you trying to get us to download this on our phone? Um, so we really were. I mean, we were in this you – know, we were trying to do something very positive. And in the very beginning, we, we did get that ugly duckling look, like, you know, uh, from both sides, um, which, was, you know, which was obviously a frustration of ours. But, um, you know, we just stayed persistent with it. All right, so then you've got your the agencies that are more or less within your vicinity around yeah. West Madison. What about other agencies? And and you know you you mentioned in this notion one of the challenges was which is the inoperability between agencies and divisions, including the FBI. So how do you now try to roll it out and get further buy-in, get access to more data? That's going to help you actually have a, a better database in the first place. So, so in the beginning, um, obviously, pretty much like any business, we, we were going to meetings where they would have us. So any police chief that would listen, we would go. Um, and then as we started to refine our model, we realized that we should really be targeting places that have a need for police departments to be able to be interoperable with uh, private partners. So we started to target uh, agencies that had large uh, shopping malls or large concert venues or, 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 or some type of you know private entity that there was a, a definite need for them to have the ability to exchange information. So the first initial agencies were all local agencies in New Jersey um, that this model didn't apply to, where they were just using it for the, for the prime purpose of having access to policies and procedures, school layouts, uh, criminal code, um, you know, the, the general information. But then, but then we got into, uh, like we, we did Chicago Ridge, West Chicago Ridge Mall. Their whole tax base is basically based around this mall. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, need to protect this mall. So we, we went there, we, we worked with the private security there, with the police department, and then also the surrounding agencies. So this is the first time that we kind of proved our model about how this data being able to be exchanged back and forth uh, you know, really worked and, and was applied. In what you say, there's an expression uh, that my friend Ch Tanya Chernova uses up in Toronto. She says, um, "Money goes where the sorry energy goes where the money flows," and it right. seems that that is a fair model within the your local area with the shopping malls. Yet you also mentioned schools, and and obviously there are concert venues, there are. Uh, you know, sporting outings where lots of people and, and issues of terrorism. But let's say in the in the wake of last week, schools too are a uh, you know a unfortunate target of you know let's call it terrorism by another name or at least terror mass shootings. 
So how, how have you managed to move it out? Or are, tell us where you are in the process of trying to move it outside to the other groups, you know, let's say Chicago and L.A. or New Orleans and, and Boston. How do you do that? So, I mean, it's, it's obviously, you know, a lot of it is about introduction and a lot of it, unfortunately, requires, you know, like a lot of times you don't realize the necessity of a tool like this until you're smacked into the face with it. Um, but, you know, our tool, there's a lot of good tools out there for like preemptive type of tracking, right? That yeah. that could, you know, right. So, so we're not really in that particular game. Um, and I don't want to pretend to be, but what our tool would do a good job of is when you have these active shooter scenarios, when you have these things coming, these terrorism attacks that happen, the the, the response plans, right, are, are, are miscoordinated in a lot of cases because this thing's happening instantly. And then what's happening is that, um, you know, you have, you have multiple agencies responding to a place and not everybody's working on the same uh, game plan, let's say. They don't have the same sheet of music in front of them. So what, what, we, what we offer through the application is that as these agencies are responding, Funding, you can share that response plan or, or that, that, that layout or that infrastructure map that would allow all the agencies to participate on the same sheet of music. So that, that's where we offer our true value to, you know, those types of scenarios, um, you know, which are tough to handle, but, but that's, what we, that's what we offer. Well, in, in, in the world that I operate, which is so different, Justin, there, are, there is a, 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 a crossover, which is this ability or openness to share data. Mm-hmm. So in, in the business world, my country unit doesn't want to share business, even though it's the same company, my data with a business unit that's not my country. It's not invented right. here. They're, they're competitors, maybe for my career. The other things that impede us wanting to gang up on the enemy, the real enemy. Right. So uh, what, what kind of insights might you have as to how to, to, to garner and, and open up the well, so that the different agencies are prepared to open up their game plan, open up their private, you know, confidential information. Because who are you? Because you, you know, why? Why should I trust you with it? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 definitely uh, again another interesting scenario, and you're 100 percent right. I mean, the same thing applies. You know, the business case that you described is the same thing that applies to law enforcement. Um, you know, there, there's there's this. There's this hesitance in the law enforcement community to share information, you know, amongst individual units or, or departments, um, and, and that that that, extend, that extend, expands out to um, you know national agencies, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that the FBI know that that the local agencies don't know, um, and that's a problem, right? Because the local agencies they, they're the ones that are on the street every day, they're the ones that are responding for calls for service, those are the ones that can prevent incidents from happening, but they can't do so if they're not armed with that information. So what, 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 what my recommendation always has been is that you know, there, there needs to be a system into place, which could be guided or it doesn't have to be, um, that, that allows for this seamless information sharing. Um, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of it can, you know, like, like you say, I mean, if you, if you create solidarity um, you know, amongst law enforcement agencies, you'll create a safer environment. And, and in your business case, if you create solidarity amongst the business units, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll create a better business. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same principle um, but it's, it's, it's a shame that, you know, I think we're getting there now. I think we're getting there, at least in the law enforcement side. So, you know, there are so many areas where it's interesting and you know, parallels and, 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 uh, bridges that can be crossed because the solidarity thing is something that's well known in the military and in the police force. Let's call it the brotherhood. Uh, you know, the brothers in arms, uh, mm-hmm. is, is for a reason. 
and and so you you go to combat and you 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 share danger you look death in the eye and that is a bond that that is uh without parallel in in certainly not in business and yet there's this thing called the customer in in your case as a cop it's the civilian they're in in essence they're the, your payers anyway they pay the taxes who pay your police right. force and so on and we have had in America, in particular, in the news, all this this sort of obvious gap of confidence, gap of relationship between police and civilians. And so, in the worlds that I live in, business, you know, we talk about being customer centric, but sure, shit, there is a lack of customer centricity in business. Right. So, how did you live that? Because I mean, obviously, you went with impact. You went with impact, presumably not just to change the police force but to make them better at their job, which is to protect the citizen. And yet right. there's this gap. And, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and, and clear infractions of, I would say, civilian rights, uh, not that I'm here to judge any of them, but, you know, there have been obvious cases that seem to be breakdowns in what the police is all about. So talk us through how you experienced that. I mean, Justin, you're, you're obviously someone who's very squared up and got solid values, and how did you live through that period where you're being blamed for stuff? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely it's definitely tough, right? Because I, I knew that I, I wanted to do good by our customer, um, you know, in which is a civilian. And I, and, I, and I could understand situations from the customer's perspective. But there there was there's a lot of times, um, you know, a lack of understanding from both sides because in, in my case, I understand their frustration. But they don't understand mine. So that you know, a lot of times when you go to these calls for service, you get you get um, a tremendous amount of uh, pushback from you know, from the civilians because of things that have happened in the past where bad cops have been bad cops, and you know this thin blue line, this solidarity that you speak about uh, amongst law enforcement, I mean, it's definitely existent. Um, but the problem is, is that we do we do too good of a job defending the bad ones, um, which I think creates like you talk about this lack of trust amongst the community and the police that serve them um and i think that that's the other thing too i think when law enforcement agencies start to really understand that they are public servants that their their, their job is literally to serve the community that pays their salaries i think that that becomes that that, that the relationship can become much better i think that you know you see it on tv everywhere i mean these these law enforcement agencies are becoming uh completely militarized um they become you know, more of like a, a, a small military organization versus, you know, a, a unit of people that, that are that are there to serve their humans, that are there to serve the humans in that community. Um, I think once, you know, once you're able to, to change the training, to change the dialogue that, that is taught in law enforcement, I think then you'll be able to see a, a, a stronger solidarity between the community and the police. I mean, from my perspective, it's tough because on one side – you know, if you don't defend your brother officer, even when they're wrong, right, you're, you're a whistleblower, you're, you're a problem, you know, you're a rat. Um, but at the same time, you know, if they're doing something wrong, that's going to weaken the link between you and the community. So it's a tough position to be in, especially when you're really, you know, there is very good law enforcement officers, but it's a tough position to be in because you want to create impact to the customer, but you also have to work with the men and women that you work with every day. Um, and, and, and that thin blue line is, is truly existent. Um, so it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic, for sure. Well, you, you talk about being militarized, um, but it seems to me obvious at one level. 
considering the the issues of and the dis availability of semi-automatic weapons in America that caused the shooting that we saw last. The, I, I say caused the shooting that that happened last week, and so it, it, at some level, it's um, it's sort of a necessary reaction. At the same time, us human beings, civilians, that's true, we have a, a lesser ability because of the trust issues to maybe be more empathic. And yet, we both know that we, that we need you. We, the civilian, need you, the cop. So I want to I move on to, because uh, although I feel like we could continue talking about this, Justin, because um, the reason I, I did get in touch with you and Will was this notion of future-proof uh, leadership and innovation. And, and so one of the key ideas behind Innovation 4.0 is this idea of future-proofing your career in the face of all this technology and all this change. So talk us through how your, guy, your guy's vision of future-proofing your career, what goes into future-proofing your career? I think, I think for, for this, this generation now, I mean, obviously the, the, the things coming down the pike in terms of automation is, is going to be you know, extremely detrimental. I mean, to the consumer, to the customer, it's going to be positive, but, but to the workforce, it could be detrimental, especially in areas where, um, you know, there, there's, um, you know, they have been underutilized, uh, you know, previously. So, so what we really focus on is, is, is insight and also you know, teaching, um, you know, soft skills, um, that, that could future-proof the children and, and the, the, the next the future generations in these particular in these particularly underutilized communities. All right. So tell us more about what those soft skills are. I mean, break down what you think are the key ones that are going to help, especially in underutilized communities that we were talking before getting on the show about how you your real focus has been on communities where there is values but they're being underexploited they're being undervalued if not disregarded entirely and that's where you want to go in and do your work yeah so we so we use, we use a we use a word called havoc which basically describes what we what we determine to be the characteristics and the characteristics are humility authenticity vision opportunism and compassion um and then, you know, the skills that we that we look to to teach is to understand frustrations or have the ability to listen. Um, then, utilizing those particular abilities to to collaborate, where we teach collaboration, um, you know, meaningful collaboration with other with other like minded or, or or other individuals in the community to create um, to use those frustrations to create inspirations to create positive impact in the local community. Right. So, keeping the focus. Uh, in these unutilized communities, on the on their community, not the world, just what they can do to positively impact that particular community. Because we believe that if we can create that type of collaboration, if we can if we can give them that type of insight, that that'll set the you know the foundation for future proofing their careers. It's brilliant that you say that, Justin. Of course, um, some of you guys on the listening who read my book, uh, the first two chapters, well, the first two chapters of my book are all about mindset and. And meaningfulness is chapter one, collaboration is chapter three, and, and there you are putting both words together. And what I particularly like about your approach, Justin, is that when you're working with these communities, you're, you're helping them understand the value that they're sitting on and, the, and their ability to contribute in a meaningful way will be on their community, which will have an immediate return for them because it's going to help them and their family and their nephews or whatever around them. And on top of that, the other thing which really strikes a chord for me, because, you know, don't take this wrong, Justin, there, the, the younger generations have this ability or desire 
wonderful uh, in intention to change the world. And yet the world is a large place and time and resources are hugely limited. So the, when, when, you, when you give them that sort of orientation of what kind of information you have, the insights you own as a member of a local community to surf and leverage that and make that part of how they're going to grow and, and be, have a career, I find that hugely powerful. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I mean, that, that's the whole point. And, you know, kind of in our previous discussions, um, you, know, we, you know, we believe that it's not about creating, um, you know, worldwide impact. It's just about, you know, how, how can, what can you what can you impact in, in, you know, in your physical and tangible touch? Um, you know, and we think that you know, just just giving that, like I said, giving that baseline insight, that baseline skill set um, could really, really help future proof the careers of, of those particular individuals. The other thing you say, uh, Justin, with you and Will at, at, uh, at Innovation 4.0 is uh, the idea that values create value. And, and uh, of course, that speaks volumes to me as well. And I, I, I love the way you transport that. The question I have is how do you go about justifying that concept? Because, you know, if you're going to speak to a 55-year-old uh, like me, uh, about these kinds of things, I am looking at you and I'm saying, wait, dude, you know, what I'm looking for is how we can hit the quarterly numbers. Right. And there, you know, with your idealism and all that, you know, fine. Uh, I've had enough of that. I need tough stuff. Right. It's so, uh, you know, the, the values lead to value. Um, you know, that, that scenario, again, you know, we really are focusing on these underutilized communities, right? So I'm not going to go to somebody of your caliber and, and attempt to pitch to you this this concept of this baseline structure that, that, that gives you a foundation because you've already built a foundation, right? I mean, you obviously have, have, have done tremendous things in your life. So th this, you know, our, our vision and, and, you know, and, and our goal is the values equal value is to give them a baseline value system, something that they can, that they can hold on to that becomes tangible for them as they collaborate in a community setting to create these business models or these pitches that, that, that create positive impact. They have to form some value system while they're doing this. And our, our goal for them is to set this, this baseline value system that, that shows them that if you, if you, if you, um, focus on, you know, things like, um, like, like love or like, um, you know, honor, right. Which we talked about. If you focus on those types of things, you know, you can really create value in your own community, not, you know, again, focusing on what you can actually impact, what you can touch, what you can feel in your community, not, you know, we're not trying to make this a worldwide vision, um, but, but that you can create positive value in your community. The reason why this is a relevant topic, uh, for 55 year olds like me and big business is that a lot of companies actually, write these values down on the wall, mm -hmm. but none of them lives them. Right. Conversely, when you're talking to a underprivileged kid who might live in the outskirts of a uh, relatively old industry town, let's call mm -hmm. it Flint or whatever, right. they're looking at you, wait a second, dude, I need, to, I need to pay my rent this week. What are you talking mm -hmm. about values for? At some level, it's as dissonant uh, as it gets for the old boss, as you know, who's written them down but doesn't live them, and this one who who's got other issues, which are just as short term, by the way, and, right. and then have less uh, headspace and even comprehension of 
So how do you actually get uh, underutilized, well, let's call it underprivileged kids to, to want to buy in on values? I, you know, I, I, I think it's less buy-in than you would than you would think. I mean, we, we you know only because I always say that because we we've, we've been out there and we've done it. You know, we ran a we ran a six week program in Flint, Michigan, and and you know it's there. They want somebody to ignite that inside of them, right? They have a value system. They believe in the, in values, but you're right. It's very hard in that environment to to honor those value systems because you're really just trying to survive. Right, it's the day to day survival, but when 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 we go there and we ignite this passion in them that's already existed, right? These value systems, um, you know, they, they buy into it because they see what the finished product is. They've never they've never ca- they never use their value system to carry something out from start to finish. When they see it done, they present it. They present it in front of uh, the community members, and, and some of them are are big local business people. Some of them were you know we, we we brought in business people from from the outside to, to view these things. When they see their finished product, they see what their values have created. Um, you know, they really, they, they, they stand fast with that, I think. And, and it really, it really kind of, you know, it, 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 it really locks in for them when they see that they, they stuck to their values and they created something that was, that was, you know, widely, um, accepted by the community. Um, I, I think that's definitely a, a positive for these kids. If I'm listening to this or as I am to you and I'm working in big business, I have to think that it's exactly the same. It's, it's weird. The, the desire to live, to belong, to, to ignite the values that I naturally have within me and, and to live them is innate and, and crosses over even into people who are you know, employees in big business who right. might be earning large salaries, but they look at their bosses, they look at their corporate annual report and they say, well, we're not doing it. Who's going to help me bring it alive? And so that's where I think you and I, Justin, share a uh, absolutely parallel mindset and and similar type of ambition, working in different spheres. So ju- it's just been a pleasure to have you on, Justin. I really enjoyed listening to you. So um, how can anyone who's interested in, in following up uh, what you're doing, maybe helping out or, or anything, get in touch with you, Justin? What's the best way to, to follow you, track you down, or read up what you're up to? So, so the, the best way to reach out to us is uh, info at the Curtis Leadership Foundation org, um, which is the foundation that created Innovation 4.0 um, with a partnership with the National Police Athletic League. Um, or they can go to i4.0 dot org uh, for information on Innovation 4.0. Um, and again, or, you know, I think those, you know, those are the best ways to contact us. All right, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck with everything at uh, 3B Dreams and, uh, and making your impact come alive. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that 
got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.